you don't have kids, you've got really, really different needs. And, and in my opinion, you also have different responsibilities that people that do have kids either take for granted or, or don't apply. Hi, I'm Anna Olson, and you're listening to We're Not Kidding, a podcast devoted to sharing stories surrounding the child-free life. As a life coach, I'm passionate about helping women feel confident and empowered in their choice not to have children. And I believe that by sharing our stories, we help break the stigma. So let's dive in. All right. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. I am really excited about today's guest. Today, we are speaking with Eli Weissman, who is a certified financial planner, practitioner, and certified private wealth advisor, professional at Spire Wealth Management. He specializes in helping accomplished professionals over the age of 50 without children make smarter financial decisions so they can pursue their passions. He and his wife, Trish, live in Washington, D.C. with their dog, Lexi. Welcome, Eli. It is such an honor to have you on the podcast. I've really enjoyed our conversations leading up to this recording, and you're just... It's just so fun to get to know you and talk with you every time I feel so energized after doing so. So thank you for making the time to be on the podcast today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Awesome. Me too. So just for starters, can you tell us um, a little bit about you on a more personal level? Like who who are you? Who's Eli? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So um, I am uh, 51. Um, married. We don't have kids. My wife and I don't have kids. We do have a dog who we love to spoil. And strangely enough, before I became a financial professional, I was actually an environmental lobbyist. And not having kids allowed me to change careers, which was kind of cool. That's awesome. I didn't know you were an environmental lobbyist. I'm excited to get into that too. But yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, that's really cool. So yeah, you mentioned that you don't have kids. And was that a conscious choice? Can you tell us about how you came to not having kids? Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting because I always assumed that I was going to have kids. It was just sort of a foregone conclusion. You get married, you move out to the burbs, and then you start, you know, raising a family. And while my wife and I were raising a family with our dog, like neither of us were really feeling the urge to have kids. And we did move out to the burbs. And I'll, I'll tell you sort of one story my wife was we were having the conversation we were having the conversation a couple of years go by we we're still having the conversation and she was leaning no and I was still sort of undecided and in kind of a, a tipping point we didn't know it at the time but a tipping point was on a Saturday afternoon we went to Trader Joe's to do our food shopping <laughs> um and you know it's Trader Joe's it's crowded on the weekend and we saw a, a young mother with two toddlers they're probably about two or three my wife recalls that they were twins and you know how grocery stores will have those like little tiny carts for kids to push around and everything yeah yeah so these two toddlers they're you know they're pushing each other they're arguing they're, they're I mean they're being little kids but the mom's having like almost a nervous breakdown and she's like four hands on the cart four hands on the cart we're sharing we're sharing we're sharing and you can sort of just see the smoke coming out of her ears and how unhappy she looked. And we felt bad for her. But then we're also looking at ourselves and like, do we want that? Mm -hmm. And 
And that was kind of like, you know, we talked about that experience quite a bit the next, you know, weeks and months. And it turned out that that was kind of the tipping point. Neither of us were decided that we wanted to have kids. And it turned out that like, we kind of liked our freedom. We liked the ability to work late if we wanted to at work. We liked the idea of hanging out with our friends after work or going out in the evenings. And it just kind of, you know, it, it just kind of went from there. And I think finally, we just officially made the decision, okay, we're not having kids. And no, no regrets. I think one huge positive about it for me personally and professionally was that in my mid 40s, you know, I've been an environmental lobbyist for a number of years. And I made a career change to get into financial advisor, become a financial advisor and a certified financial planner. And I don't know that I would have been able to do that if I had, you know, one or two or three mouths to feed. You know, um, it allowed me to take a professional risk that I don't know that I would have been able to to take. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's huge. And I can relate the last couple of years have been transitioning into my doing my own thing. And if we had kids, I would not have been able to do this. Right. I mean, it's just sort of something that not having kids, it comes with its own set of challenges. You know, there's the whole, you know, I don't know how many meeting work meetings I have where the first or second question is, so do you have kids? No, I don't have kids. And you know, you have to sort of work through that. And it's always sort of a little uncomfortable. Well, I have a I have a four-legged kid. Does that count? You know, <laughs> and I usually get raised eyebrows on that. But I think from a career perspective, not having kids gives you a little bit more professional freedom to pursue your passions. And that's kind of one of the things that I encourage my clients that don't have kids. You know, you're allowed to take more professional risks. Yeah, absolutely. What kind of you know, led you to wanting to get out of being an environmental lobbyist and moving into this financial planning? I I get that question a lot. So most listeners will recognize that our political environment has has gotten, there's a lot of uh, harsh rhetoric and us against them. And it's just gotten nasty over the years. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I was an environmental lobbyist, you could work with both political parties and and you could work on solutions and people that wanted to be helped. And that was what was so rewarding about it as I could work with Democrats, I could work with Republicans, I could work with the administration, I could work with the Senate, the, the House. We would fight like cats and dogs, but we could come together on things where there was some agreement. And that kind of changed over time where now both political parties are often more interested in scoring political points mm. than trying to find solutions. And, and I came to the realization that I really liked helping advance the ball and helping people that wanted to be helped. And I wasn't getting that fulfillment anymore out of, out of being a lobbyist, but I was always really good with numbers. I was always good with the financial side of things. And so I made a change to helping people with what was super important to them was their financial security. And they actually wanted to be helped. And I'm like, this is perfect. They want yes. to be helped. I have the skills to do it. So like it, it kind of fell in from there. Oh, cool. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. As a life coach, I get to work with people who seek me out. They want the help. And there's just that buy-in, that wanting to to show up and to do the work is, that's really rewarding in and of itself, just having that dynamic. So Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's one of the best parts of my job. 
Yeah. But there's also a lot of confusion about the financial industry. And the financial industry is awesome at throwing around all sorts of crazy terms and confusing people. I mean, they, they really got it down to an art. <laughs> you know, there's a financial advisor, a financial planner, a financial consultant, a retirement specialist, an investment advisor, the list goes on. I think for your listeners, it might be helpful if it's okay to just kind of boil it down and try to simplify it so that folks aren't as confused as my industry loves to confuse people. Yeah. So can you take us through like, what are the differences or at least who should we be on the lookout for? So at sort of the 30,000 foot level, a financial advisor is someone who, drumroll, please wait for it, provides financial advice or guidance (laughs) to clients uh, for compensation. Now, financial advisors can provide many different services. Most commonly, they execute trades on a client's behalf. Hey, you know, I want you to buy this mutual fund. I want you to buy this stock. They do a lot of investment management, uh, insurance services. And depending on their level of sophistication in the firm, they may also offer tax and estate offerings. Now, registered investment advisors uh, have to pass one or more exams and be properly licensed in order to carry out business with clients. Now, a financial planner, by contrast, helps clients with budgeting, retirement planning, they usually take a more holistic approach beyond just investments. Now, there's a lot of overlap between the two. There's a lot of financial advisors that are financial planners. There's a lot of financial planners that are financial advisors. As an example, I'm a financial advisor, but I'm also a certified financial planner and a certified private wealth advisor. Those are two professional designations. But I mean, I think one thing that is important for folks to recognize is that licensed financial advisors are were heavily regulated, as I think we should be. You know, I'm, I'm going to have to read this disclosure right here just to prove the point. <laughs> this content is for informational purposes only. The views and opinions expressed here are of the author and do not necessarily reflect the opinion of Spire Wealth Management, LLC, or its affiliates. There can be no assurance that any strategy or investment products will achieve its investment objectives. There are risks associated with investing including the entire loss of principal investment. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. That last sentence, past performance, is no guarantee of future results. It's been ingrained into our brains Mm. almost. So, you know, it's a good thing from my perspective that the industry is heavily regulated. Um, There's a lot of folks that complain about it, and some of the regulations are a little onerous. But as a consumer, you want somebody who's giving you advice on something as important as money to not be, you know, just sort of making it up as they go along. You want some rules of the road. Right. I I think it's important. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like a measure of safety to entrust that you're working with someone who knows what they're doing, isn't going to take advantage because they're regulated. Right. Now, a certified financial planner is what I think most folks will want because there's a higher level of standard, a higher level of care than just a baseline financial advisor. Um, They have to act in the client's best interests. They have, in my opinion, more rounded training. And we'll look at not just investments, but we'll look at your whole whole financial life. So I'm always a big proponent that everyone have a certified financial planner 
uh, and not just an investment advisor. But, you know, the child-free community, not everyone even needs a financial advisor or a certified financial planner. Um, okay. That said, if you are going to get one, I'm certainly biased, but I think a certified financial planner really should be table stakes. If you're looking for someone and they don't have that designation, keep looking. Cool. So one thing you just noted was that maybe not everyone needs a financial advisor. So what are things that like listeners or or anyone out there can sort of do on their own? Right. So I think there's a lot of things that folks that are child free, that have kids, that are child, the whole like this stuff is not inherently impossible to figure out. So I think there are four characteristics to be able to handle your finances well. The first one's kind of obvious. You have to have the time. All of us are super, super busy. And the worst thing is just ignoring it and letting the finances sort of run themselves. So number one is you got to have the time. I think the second thing is the technical skills, the training, and the tools. Now, this is something where, again, it's not all that hard. By contrast, if you got married and you had a professional photographer and you had some friends taking photos at the wedding as well, you probably notice the skill quality that there's a little bit of a difference. The professional does it better. Mm -hmm. Uh, They've got the better camera. They've got the better lighting. They've been doing it longer. So I think the technical skills and the training, can you teach yourself? Absolutely. Uh, but you're not necessarily going to have all the tools and this and the skills. The, the third thing is there needs to be some level of enjoyment or willingness to do it. There's a lot of people that do their own taxes, but there's a lot of people that are very capable of doing their taxes that just farm it out to a tax professional or a CPA. It's not that they can't do it. It's that they rather somebody else deal with the problem. And, right. and really time, technical skills and enjoyments, two out of three is not going to cut it in my, in my opinion. But the fourth one, and this is the biggie, is in order to be able to handle your finances well, particularly on the investment side, you have to be able to manage your emotions. And this is one of the hardest things to do because it's money. And this is one of the reasons why many people hire a financial advisor. According to Dalbar, which is a financial services marketing research firm, what they've come up with is that the typical investor underperforms the market by more than 3% a year over the past 30 years. You know, they've been doing this study year after year after year after year. And frankly, we stink at managing our emotions when it comes to investing. We buy high. We sell low. Why do we buy high? Well, fear of missing out. Oh, the mm. stock market's going like crazy. Crypto's going nuts. I got to get in on this, this thing. And then we sell low. Oh my God, the sky is falling. The world is circling the drain. I got to get out before I lose everything. Right. I mean, it's just, it's human nature. But a good financial advisor is going to help temper your emotions going to help say, look, it's going to be okay. We're sticking with the plan. We're not going to get greedy. We're not going to run scared. And I think that's where most good financial planners and financial advisors serve their clients well is when there is, when the markets are kind of going nuts, Mm. you know, up or up or down. Now, again, not everyone needs a financial advisor, but I do think that the time 
the skills and training, the enjoyment and the emotions. Those are sort of four things that you really need to be honest with yourself. Yeah. About, look, do you, do you have those four things? Thank you for kind of laying out those points. And I feel like you're doing a great job of setting the foundation of like, what is a financial advisor and a financial planner and and what do people need to consider? So now if we hone in a little bit more, can you talk about how are the financial needs of the child-free or childless community different from everyone else? Absolutely. Yeah, and this is kind of what I'm excited to to talk about today. I mean, I think the financial needs are really fundamentally different. You know, I even wrote a white paper on this, uh, which folks can get on my website later if they're interested. But if you don't have kids, you have fundamentally very, very different financial challenges than your friends or coworkers or family members do. The typical rules just do not apply. You had another guest on the on the podcast, Jay Zygmunt, who said the same thing. And I encourage folks to, to listen to that episode as well. But just as an example, the Brookings Institute released a study recently that the average cost of raising a, a child in the United States by the time they reach 18 is over $300,000. I mean, that number is crazy. Yeah. Now, this doesn't even include the cost of private school, college, a future wedding, helping them out with student loan payments, like down payment. Like this is just, hey, food, clothing and shelter. Wow. Uh, And, you know, maybe some other stuff. But, you know, think about it. If you don't have two kids, do you need a three bedroom place? Right. Probably not. But I think the thing is that the child free, the childless people, if you don't have kids, you've got really, really different needs. And, and in my opinion, you also have different responsibilities that people that do have kids either take for granted or, or don't apply. I think there are three. I mean, there's more than three. I, uh, there's, uh, but, but there's three that I think I'd like to, to talk about a tiny bit. The, the first is you may not be as intentional about your day-to-day spending as if you are raising kids, you know, if Johnny needs a new pair of shoes, that's where you're, you know, you got to put aside $100 for a new pair of shoes. If you are looking at a new apartment, you got to make sure there's that extra bedroom for the two kids. So if you don't have kids, you may not be as intentional about where your money's going every, every day, week, month, year. The money just sort of goes away. Right. Uh, I think another concern that I have and I advise folks over is, and this is where it's really different, whether you have kids or you don't have kids, is being either overinsured or underinsured, or in some cases, both. Mm. So what do I mean by that? If you're a parent, it is generally a good idea to have life insurance in case something happens to you so that your kids aren't left high and dry. If you don't have kids, maybe you still want some life insurance if you're married. Maybe not. Again, it's a conversation to be had. But what is super important and and often really neglected is, well, what happens if you get hurt? Right. If you can't do your job because you got in a car accident, God forbid, do you have disability insurance? Is it at the right level? Because what I can guarantee you is if you're walking around on crutches 
and can't go to work for months and months and months because you got in an accident, your teenager's not going to be able to help you out after school. If you mm-hmm. don't have kids, like that option does not exist. And so being able to make sure that you've got some type of long-term disability coverage and that's the right amount is something that I think most people don't even think about. But if you don't have kids, I think it's even more important than if you do have kids. Yeah. So if someone is listening to this and they're like, whoa, I I totally have missed this disability insurance thing. Like, where do I go? Do I go to HR? You know, like... Great question. And and I'll fully admit that insurance is boring and most people avoid it like the plague. So if you're like, holy smokes, I didn't even know this thing existed or now I'm scared. Like, rest assured, I get it. No one likes talking about insurance and it's dry. That being said, the first place to look is go to go to human resources and look at your benefits package. Okay. Often, but not always, uh, there is group disability policy. Find out what it is. In in a lot of cases, it will cover you up to a certain amount. If you're highly compensated, it may not cover how much you're paid. Usually, not always, but usually uh, a policy is going to cover up to 60% of your salary. It's not going to cover 100. Mm-hmm. Um, but going to human resources is, is, is usually a pretty good first step. Let's say you make, you know, $300,000 a year, just as an example, and your long-term disability policy at work only covers up to $120,000. Well, now you may want to get a supplemental policy. That's kind of where I always encourage folks to take a look at what their risk exposure is, whether it's on life insurance, on disability insurance, because if you don't have kids, no one's going to bail you out. You can't ask your high school teenager to, you know, come and take care of the groceries or, 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 you know, help, help you out if you're hurt. So it is something that I think if you don't have kids, it's something that you really want to take a look at. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for that. Sure. And then the third thing that I think is now this applies whether you have kids or you don't have kids, but I think it is often more likely to happen if you don't have kids. The concern I have is your investments being out of alignment with your financial plan. Jay talked about this on on a previous podcast with you, but your financial plan is going to be totally different if you don't have kids. You may not want to retire at age 65. Maybe you want to retire earlier. Maybe you never want to retire and you just sort of want to half work all the time. But your investments really need to be in alignment with what's important to you and making sure that you do have a long-term plan. Because I think the challenge with having your investments not in line with your financial plan is that you may get to your destination and, and realize that you know the, the resources you either oversaved or undersaved to get there. I'll give sort of a good example, and this is where you know, if you have a kid and you are saving for college for them, okay, there's, you know, you can run some numbers and be like, hey, I want to make sure that there's X thousand dollars available for college by the time they turn 18. You know, the math isn't brutally hard, but, you know, there's a little bit of a path. Well, if you don't have kids and you don't have specific goals, how do you run those calculations? How do you know how much you want to save? Mm-hmm. How much do you want to invest? Well, 
And this is where, you know, I think while investments are sort of the cool, fun, sexy part, like the financial planning, what what are we saving for? Right. And, and that's where I think a financial planner can really, really help. Help you get clear on what, what are we trying to accomplish here? You know, if you want to take a sabbatical in a couple of years, you know, do you have the money to, available to do that? Well, if you want to retire at age, you know, my wife would love to retire at age 55. Yeah. I don't know that that's going to happen, but that's what she wants. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, we're trying to plan for that. You know, I'm going to keep working for a while. So I have more time to save for retirement. But my wife, she wants to travel the world. I want to travel the world with her. And so making sure that your investments are kind of in sync with both your short term, your medium term and your and your long term goals can be really important. And I think that kind of gets back to, you know, some of the basics, really. One thing that everyone really needs to have, I think there's a couple of things everyone needs to have. We talked about the disability insurance already. Yeah. Uh, but I think everyone also needs to have an emergency fund. Oh. That's something that is underappreciated. And, and a lot of folks are like, well, I'll get to that. You know, I, I've got a I've got bills to pay. You know, I've got student loans, I've got a car payment, you know, an emergency fund. If something comes up, like, we'll just deal with it. I get it. It's hard to put money aside for a rainy day, but I definitely encourage, even if it's, even if you can only save, you know, an extra hundred bucks or a thousand bucks a month, having a backup in case the roof has a hole in it is important. If you live in a condo, you know exactly what I'm talking about already. If you live in a condo, and not everyone does, there are condo fees. Mm. And what do condo fees include? Condo fees include some money in case the condo, you know, chimney collapses or the roof needs, like that's what's going into part of your condo fee. Now, if you don't, live in a condo, I definitely encourage you to still be putting aside some money every month in case, you know, the furnace goes or in right. case the, you know, the dishwasher busts. If you're renting, I guarantee you, your landlord is doing that. At least they should be, they should be putting aside money <laughs> every month if, the, if your dishwasher busts. And, you know, the emergency fund, it doesn't need to be gobs and gobs of money, but, you know, a good rule of thumb is, if you're married, whoever makes less, take their annual compensation, cut it in half after taxes. That's kind of how much you want. Alternatively, another way to look at it, and the numbers can probably be pretty similar, is three months of the higher earner. You know, either way, you're going to be covered if someone loses their job. You know, there's talk of maybe we're heading into a recession, maybe we're not, but you don't want to be putting money on credit cards just to get by. And then health insurance, again, most employers, if you're full-time, are going to provide health insurance for you. But that's kind of another thing that can really derail a financial plan real good. Mm. Uh, is if you have a health emergency and you are all of a sudden facing tens of thousands of dollars of, of medical bills. So right. health insurance, long-term disability policy, and emergency fund. With the emergency fund, if you're single and don't have kids, would you want to shoot for that three month, um, like your example from the higher earner yeah. of a couple? Or what would the goal be then? Yeah, so that's a great question. So if you are single, and you don't own your house, I'll get back to that. The, an example, if you do own your house, I would say between three and six months, 
Okay. Um, it it kind of depends a little bit on your confidence level of how quickly you're going to be able to get a job if something happens to your job, if you're downsized or something happens at work. If you're in a hot profession and you can pick up part-time work while you're looking for a job, you know, three months may be okay. If you're very, very specialized and, you know, if you're a astrophysicist and there's not that many astrophysicist jobs in your area and you may need to move to get the next astrophysicist job, and eh, maybe you want to be looking at six months. Sure. Okay. Right. If you're, if you're a public t- school teacher or a, a teacher in general, and there's a labor shortage in teachers, you know, hey, you may be able to walk into a job interview next, next week. Mm-hmm. So it, it depends, you know, there's no hard and fast rules. I don't want to come across as, hey, you, thou shall, you must, right. you know, there's, there's a lot of, it depends. Uh, I don't want your listeners to feel like, oh my God, there are all these rules. There are all these requirements. My head's going to, you know, I'm just feeling overwhelmed. Look, relax. It's okay. You, you have resources, you have backup. There are plenty of people to talk to. There's a whole industry designed to help you with this. So don't feel overwhelmed. I'm just providing, you know, general rules of thumb. Your circumstances are going to be unique to you. But if you're single or divorced and you don't have kids, you know, somewhere between three to six months, you know yourself better than I do about, Mm -hmm. you know, your ability to get a new job if something happens. The point is you want to have some cushion. Right. Now, if you do own your own home, now this applies whether you're single or, or married, and you have some equity in your home, your emergency fund could very well be a home equity line of credit where you're leveraging the equity that you have in your home. That's a great emergency fund because it's available if you need it. Mm -hmm. You can write yourself a check against the value of your home, but you don't have to. And you're only going to pay interest if you borrow against it. I definitely encourage my clients if they have either an investment account or they own their own home, that's a great way to cover your emergency fund where you don't, where you're not just stockpiling cash. Yeah. Uh, leveraging an existing asset that you already have. Okay, cool. So we're getting, we're getting more, you know, we're getting more granular, we're getting more sophisticated. So depending on your circumstances, you know, the solution can be easy. It can be more nuanced. There, there are always going to be options. Whether you're just starting out, whether you are making a million dollars a year, whether you're somewhere in between, your needs are going to be a little different, but you're always going to have options. And there are people that can help you. Right. Yeah. So you've written about some of the biggest mistakes you see that those without kids make with their finances. Can you give us a couple examples of these mistakes? Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest mistake I see is that folks aren't intentional about their cash flow. If you don't know where your money is going, it just kind of fritters away a little bit. You know, hey, a Starbucks here and there, it's good for the soul. I drink Starbucks from time to time. I'm I'm not telling people don't go to Starbucks, but but I do want you to be intentional about where the money is going because it can add up. Just to put it in perspective, if you were to be able to find $1,000 a month out of your discretionary income, It's not going to the rent. It's not going to your mortgage. It's not going to retirement, but like just a thousand dollars a month. If you were to take that and invest it very conservatively at 4% 
over 40 years, you'd have a million bucks. Who wouldn't like an extra million bucks? (laughs) I sure would. (laughs) And so the mistake that I see people is that they're not in, they're not aligning the money in their wallet with what's important to them. It doesn't mean you have to save it. Doesn't mean you have to invest it, but it does mean put it to what's important. Hey, if that Starbucks latte is important to you, like go for it. But if you want to retire when you're 55, you may want to start thinking about putting that money towards retirement mm-hmm. and, and aligning it with your, what's, with your goals. And this is where I think a financial planner can really help on that. Another mistake that I see people make is, again, being overinsured or underinsured. I think another one is uh, having your investments be out of alignment with your financial plan. If you know that you want to buy a car in the next year, don't put all of that money in cryptocurrency. It might not be there when you need it. It might have doubled. It might have tripled. It might have gone to zero. I always encourage my clients, if you have a short-term goal, make sure that that money is safe. It's not going to set the world on fire by you know swinging for the next hot stock, which I don't believe in, by the way. But if if you have a short-term goal, put invest that very safely. Money market mutual fund or something. Your longer-term goals, you can take a little bit more risk. But the key is to make sure that your investments are aligned with your with your financial goals and your financial plan. Um, all too often, you know, things are out of alignment. And when people come to me, I have a lot of cleanup to do. Mm. But you know, I think there there are plenty of steps people can take to on their own. They don't need my help. Um, but there are plenty of steps people can take to figure out, well, where is my money going? What am I spending it on? You know, by the time you listen to this podcast, we're going to be in January. Take a look at your annual credit card statement. A lot of credit card companies, not all of them, but a lot of credit card companies don't just have your monthly statement for December, but will have an annual statement. Hey, what did you spend in 2022? My wife and I take our look at our annual statement every year. It'll say, here's how much you spent in January, February, March, April. And here's the categories. You spent X thousand dollars on travel. You spent X thousand dollars on transportation. You know, it'll go through some of the big categories. I tell clients, I'm not the budget police. Spend the money on what's important to you. I'm not going to tell you what's important to you. But take a look at that credit card statement. Does it match your values? Mm Mm-hmm. If you love to travel, like you're passionate about travel, and you find that like 3% of your discretionary income went to travel, but you spent $20,000 on eating out, which isn't all that important to you, there's a misalignment here. Right. You can take a look and just, you know, just be honest with yourself. You'll change your behavior over time. If you see see that your money's out of alignment, you'll make the changes. I trust you. Yeah. And this is such a good point, especially the beginning of a new year. Like you said, this is 2023 now. And what a perfect time as many people are looking at the year ahead and and making goals and and just bringing in this layer of, okay, I have these goals and are my spending habits aligned or how can I align my spending habits with my goals? Absolutely. Absolutely. And then for some folks, you know, I'm a big proponent of increasing one's retirement contributions every year. And in fact, the IRS said that in 2023, if you have a 401k or 403b retirement plan, you can contribute up to $22,500. Now, if you're over 50, that's an even 
$30,000. So you can really put away a lot of money in your retirement plan. Now, I've got a painless, no pain way to increase your retirement contributions. Would you like to hear it? I would love to hear a painless solution strategy. Everyone everyone I talk to is like, how do I increase my retirement contributions? Because that means I'm going to have to cut back on something. Not necessarily. Pain-free way to increase retirement contributions is the next time you get a raise or a cost of living adjustment, or you change jobs for more money, you know, any of those can happen. Half of that cost of living adjustment, half of that raise, half of that promotion goes to retirement. What does that do? Well, it supercharges your retirement contributions. If you just got a $20,000 raise, which feels awesome, by the way, congratulations, (laughs) and you put $10,000 to retirement, so now that you're getting closer to that 22500 contribution, maybe you were only contributing $5,000 before. Now you're contributing $15,000. You just tripled your retirement contributions. And you know what? Best part, your paycheck still went up. Right. It never went down. You just supercharged your retirement contributions and your paycheck still went up. How cool is that? Yeah. Okay. So Eli, if someone came to you and said, hey, like, I recently made the decision not to have kids. You know, I thought I would have kids or something. And so now I'm like really aware that, you know, my money doesn't have to be set aside for kids and and all this stuff. I'm feeling like I want to splurge a bit more on my life now. Yeah. Yeah. I want to take more trips. I want to go out more, upgrade on flights. Is this wise? And is it okay not to plan as much for my retirement years since I don't have children? Or should I be more cautious? Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a terrific question. That's a really I love that question. So individual circumstances are going to dictate that. So I can't give sort of a blanket answer. I mean, I think it does depend. But look, your financial plan should match you, not the other way around. You should not be forced into your financial plan. So I think the key is making sure that you have one and finding finding a guide, finding a coach, finding someone to help you on that journey. Is it reckless? I don't know. It might not be. It might be exactly what you need to do. I I think the key is to make sure that you have a plan for what's important to you. I am cautious by nature. My clients want me to be cautious by nature because I help keep them in check sometimes. Sure. Yeah. Clients don't want me to say, yeah, buy that Maserati. It'll be fine. That's not what clients want from me. They want me to be like, okay, well, you know, you may want to think about, but definitely align your money with what's important to you. But you also want to make sure that you've got the longer term goals in mind, because what I can guarantee you is that in the event you need long term care when you when you know, when you're in your 70s or 80s, I can guarantee you that your adult children aren't going to be taking care of you. There can be a, a, a very strong argument can be made that if you do have kids, your adult children aren't going to be taking care of you. Right. Strong argument can be made for that. But if you don't have kids, I can guarantee you that's not going to happen. (laughs) And so there needs to be, again, I'm cautious by nature, there needs to be a plan for that. So I don't want you to just spend all of your money in the here and now. but, But when I work with clients, I always, you know, the first thing we do is we have, we we get together and we chat about you know, what's your financial purpose? What's important to you? At a very deep level, 
why is money important to you? Mm. Money is a vehicle for experiences. It's a vehicle for a lifestyle. Money serves a purpose. And I want to know what that purpose is for you. Right. And most financial advisors don't bother to ask. Mm. So as it relates to, hey, you know, someone wants to spend more money on themselves, go on more trips. That's great. I would ask, hey, what else is important? Is that the most important thing to you? If it is, then let's build that into the plan. But it could also be, you know, my sister has special needs. She's not really going to be able to take care of herself when she gets older, or my parents are super important to me, and dad's slowing down, and I want to be able to take some time off or be there for them. If that's really important to you, that needs to be factored in as well. So, you know, can you do this on your own? Yes. But not everybody is able to ask themselves some of these hard questions. And I think it's important to work with somebody who's willing to, to listen and ask the questions of why is money important to you? Right. And help as a guide, help you figure that out. And then the plan comes and then you know, yeah, my financial advisor helped me figure out that taking care of mom and dad's super important to me. Maybe I shouldn't go to Australia for two months mm. because taking care of mom and dad is more important. By contrast, if you love to travel and you never seem to take, get the time off or the time to take the trip or the money or something you know, maybe you'll think, hey, do I really want to go out to that fancy dinner with somebody from work that I don't really like? Yeah. Maybe, maybe instead of doing that, on that date, I'll put the extra $200 to the Travel to Australia fund. So it, it depends. I mean, it's the, the, the whole key is just making sure that, you know, you're, you're clear on what's important to you and that your financial plan reflects that, not the other way around. Yeah, I love that. Grant and I, we've done two sessions now and the shift that we both felt because it's exactly what you're talking about. It's figuring out those long-term goals that we want. So what Grant and I discovered is right now he's the main income earner so I can focus on my career. And in five years, five to seven years, we want to flip it and yeah. honor Grant's goals. And just that and like him knowing that, okay, in five to seven years, he gets to focus on building a house that has like, we're checking ourselves. Like, do I really need to go get that coffee? Do we really want to go out to eat? Or do we just want to like eat in? Because now we have this house that we're focused on in the five to seven year future. Right. Right. Yeah. My wife, similar situation. My father-in-law passed away uh, in January, 2022. And, you know, he, 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 he was sick for a number of months and my wife and I, we made the conscious decision to buy a vacation home closer to uh, closer to my mother-in-law. Mm. And that was a conscious decision because we knew that she was going to need some support. And so, you know, we, we aligned our, I mean, I, I don't know that we sort of went through it as a formal exercise, but we made a conscious decision. Look, family's important to us. We want to be there for them. My father is getting older. Our vacation home on Cape Cod is close to my mother-in-law. It's close to my dad. And so we can spend more time up there with them and we, you know, recognize that, look, it's, it's expensive to have a vacation home, but that's important to us right now. Mm. Now, later in life, you know, are we going to put that money towards traveling? You betcha. <laughs> but, for the, but for the next, you know, handful of years, 
you know, that's where the money's going. That's where some of the extra money's going. Because yeah. that's the right thing to do for us, for other people. Hey, take that trip right now if, if that's what's important to you and it fits with your plan. It doesn't have to fit with my plan. It doesn't have to fit with, you know, Anna, your plan. It, like, it's your plan. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your own personal examples. I think that that's so helpful just to even hear examples of, you know, how those values come into where you put your money or what your goals are. Yeah. I I think this is where a certified financial planner, this is why I said earlier that, you know, hey, just a regular financial advisor, a lot of them aren't going to be able to have this conversation with you. They're going to show you a chart about their very cool investment strategy. Okay. Yeah. While that may or may not be cool, doesn't answer your question. A certified financial planner, certified private wealth advisor, somebody that's going to take the time to listen to what's important to you. There's plenty of them out there. There's 90,000 certified financial planners out there. Wow. There's a lot of us. Yeah. If you want to find one, a couple of ways. So one website, letsmakeaplan.org. You can type in your zip code, find somebody in your area. Again, a lot of this you can do on your own. If you want some help, there are other people out there. There are financial planners that do this by the hour. There are some people that will do the investments as well. I work with folks. So there's there's all, there's all kinds of resources. The other thing that I'll encourage, and these will be in the show notes, um, list of questions to ask a financial advisor really, really important. I'll list it in the show notes. What you want is somebody that acts in your best interest. Mm. You want them to be a fiduciary. You want them sitting on your side of the table. So that's something I definitely would encourage all of your listeners to consider if if they do want to get some help, um, make sure that that person's really representing them. Awesome. That's such a great resource. Thank you for being willing to share it. So yeah, anything we've talked about, we today that has been mentioned on the podcast will be linked in the show notes as well as this information for where can listeners go to learn more about you specifically and the work that you do. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. So um, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Eli Weissman. I think I was probably the first Eli Weissman on LinkedIn. So I (laughs) early adopter. Um, I put out some good content on LinkedIn, but then also have a website, uh, www.spire, S-P-I-R-E dash, not lowercase, but a dash, Weissman, W-E-I-S-S-M-A-N. You can download my white paper there. That's something of interest. Your listeners are absolutely welcome to to book a free consultation. Always happy to have a conversation. So um, grab some time on my calendar. No problem. (laughs) Okay, perfect. Thank you so much, Eli. It's been an honor and I so appreciate your your insight and your expertise and sharing it here on the podcast. Thank you so much. This has been super fun. Thank you for having me today, Anna. All right, we'll catch you next time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. And if you haven't already, please consider sharing, rating, and reviewing this podcast. This is how we reach more people. And in doing so, that's how we break the stigma. I would really appreciate your support in that and helping this podcast reach more listeners. And if you're someone who is struggling with any aspect of your child-free life, head over to my website and book your free clarity call. We'll talk about how you can start living your best child-free life with intention and purpose today.